This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. It's Voice of Change time, and it is me, Lauren Jacobs. Welcome to today's show. I hope that you've been having a fantastic, wonderful afternoon, that you have been keeping hydrated and safe from this crazy wind that we've been having this week. And speaking about crazy wind, I hope the wind has been blowing you to be supporting all the different sports events that are happening in Cape Town. So exciting that we are getting to see so many incredible sporting greats and so many sporting opportunities from the East to the cricket to you know just everything in between and then a few months time we'll be hosting the women's netball world cup so that's something to look forward to super exciting and lots happening i hope that you've been supporting women's cricket and that you have been i know probably out at boiland park or newlands just checking out the scene and supporting your favorite players and teams how cool is it to actually see women's cricket live in front of us on such a big international stage and it's so wonderful And speaking of that, while we reflect on women's cricket, it also is a time that we reflect on the place of women and women's leadership and where women find themselves and how they're breaking through barriers and really just looking to a world where women are empowered and receiving equal pay and being recognized for the incredible talents and achievements that they have made and will continue to make. And that's really going to be the foundation of today's show because today on the show, I'm joined by Dr. Lynn Kohik. Now, Lynn is a specialist. She is an incredible woman and she holds degrees from different colleges and universities. She began her teaching career at Messiah College in America and her first seminary teaching experience was at the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology where she taught pastors and church leaders from across the continent of Africa. She has taught at New Testament Wheaton College for 18 years and she's also a specialist as I said before. She's a specialist in women's leadership and particularly in theology as well as in the Bible and in churches around the world. As I said to you teaching out in Nairobi teaching in America, in Australia, and now today her voice finding us here in South Africa. And we're going to be really touching on that foundation of female leadership. What does it look like? So of course, we're going to be talking about Paul and his letters and his writings in the New Testament, and also how women are now seeing themselves and where is the place for women when it comes to female leadership. You know, this topic is still actually seen as a topic that's controversial or questionable questionable and there's many debates around it and there's many conversations around it and so that is why it's important for us to have this conversation here on K-Pulpit and especially on Voice of Change because that's what it's all about being the change making the change and not shying away from diverse topics like this so it's going to be a great one on the show I cannot wait for you to hear learn and to just absorb her wisdom because she is an incredible human being so stay tuned and cannot wait to have learn with me after this Lynn, it is so good to have you joining me today. It is a conversation I've been looking forward to for quite a long time. And now that load shedding has allowed us to be together today, Lynn, it is so good to have you here and welcome to the show firstly. And it's going to be great spending the next half an hour with you. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Lauren. I'm excited for our conversation as well. 
And, you know, you have such a passion, as I was introducing you to the listeners, you know, earlier on, you have such a passion for women in leadership, women in ministry, and not only is that your passion, but you live that and you breathe that. And I know that you've worked in Kenya and you've done some incredible things, which obviously we're passionate about here on the African continent. And you've been really someone who has been speaking into this area of female leadership and particularly in the Christian church and how we should be thinking about this and it's a very big topic and a diverse topic and one that I still see people almost feel uncomfortable about have you seen that as well and experienced that when you talk about a woman in leadership or female theologians or women preachers pastors priests and teachers you know do you feel like sometimes people do get a little bit uncomfortable Oh, they do. Yeah. I think because it feels like an attack on their way of life, um, whatever, you know, whatever they're perceiving, um, how things are. And so, yeah, it, it can feel, they can feel defensive as anybody does when you feel like you're being attacked and you're not really sure what the problem is or whether you can fix it. And uh, yeah, so I think, and in some, in some cases, you know, people have not been necessarily gracious in pointing out the problems of sexism and you know uh above all you you try to treat every other person as a dignified human being you know mm. as you have your conversations <laughs> yeah no definitely i was thinking you know over the last week we've had the women's cricket world cup uh, happening in South Africa and uh, I've been attending the matches and it's been really incredible but up the last six months now we're talking a little bit about sport but I mean it, it connects on to what we're talking about women in leadership and and we're talking about sexism and inequality one of the things that I've really seen over the last six months is a continual conversation while we've been leading up to the Cricket World Cup about uh, inequality with women's sport. And we see that all the, you know, and it's a highlighted fact in reality. So I've been asked and particularly been asked by Christians, why is it important then for you to be speaking about this topic? And I've been saying, well, where there's inequality, there needs to be a remedy. And that is how I feel. So even if it's theology or sport, we, we see these inequalities historically against women being in certain positions. So then we need to talk about it, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, in the pulpit, whether it's on the field. And there's still often, I find, pushback against women in leadership within the Christian church. Now, that is a really big kind of broad thing because we know there's many denominations and of course many people working to change that but there's still a lot of pushback often why is that persistent does it come from a scriptural perspective is it a historical thing we've inherited why is there still so much this pushback against women in leadership well i think it it goes back to what does it mean to be female what does it mean to be male and so your um pointing out women's sports, I think, is an excellent way to begin thinking about um, how societies, each culture, creates protocols for femininity and masculinity that help express what it means to be male and means to be female in these cases. And most of the time, um, societies construct masculinity to, to be assertive, decisive, courageous, mm -hmm. 
And it's all kind of outward facing, deciding for the group. And then they define uh, femininity and the female or woman as passive, submissive, um, uh, secondary in terms of decision-making in a group. And this doesn't go back to the Bible. This Mm. goes back to Aristotle. Aristotle's construction of society included a very strong hierarchy between male and female or man and woman. Mm. And that really permeated the Greco-Roman world, um, the and then subsequent in um, in the Western history, which at least in part South Africa participates in in certain mm. in certain ways. Certainly, the United States does. And so, I think we we have these ideas in our mind about what's proper, mm. usually proper for a woman, and the standard is man. <clears throat> and so, it's not proper for a woman to be assertive. In fact, we have words Hmm. (laughs) that I shouldn't say on the radio (laughs) (laughs) that describe a woman who is assertive, right? Or who is Mm. decisive, kind of like bossy. You almost never hear bossy being a descriptor of a man because Mm -hmm. we assume a kind of assertiveness. And so, but I, I would say that's just not at all what is in the biblical text. When you think of how the the biblical text elevated women who were assertive. I'm thinking of Huldah, for example, mm. who was a prophet. You can read her story in 2 Kings chapter 22. When, when Josiah the king finds in the temple the um, book of the law and he hears it read and he thinks, oh my word, we're not doing this. We need some help. And he gets all of his advisors together. They go to Huldah. Mm-hmm. And Huldah says, this is what the Lord says. And there's no there's no um, additional word like, yeah, they couldn't find a man that knew what was going on. No, <laughs> they just go to Huldah. And mm-hmm. that would be the same. We think of Deborah, who she's earlier than Huldah in the story of the Israelites. She, her story is found in the book of Judges. And she's one of the judges. And she held court. So she was using the Lord's wisdom to decide uh, cases amongst the Israelites, and she commanded generals. So she called for the general Barak and said, "This is the um, this this is how we're going to attack our enemy." So, you know that we've got women in the biblical text the whole way back from the beginning who are leading, and mm. without any kind of condemnation uh, by the biblical narrative. Mm. That narrator. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that. I love what you're sharing as well. And again, like you're saying, there's no condemnation by the biblical narrator. And we see Deborah, who's one of my favorite people, I think for a lot of us women, she is. And uh, looking at her as both prophetess and prophet and judge. And the only other person that we find in those two roles is is Samuel. You know, so it's incredible that there is that depth of realizing how deep her 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 person was how deep her calling was and how deeply she must have executed it beyond what we read about in the bible and i think it's again that challenge that you're also giving to us basically to go what is femininity and it's and it does it, it, you know sport we're coming back to sport because it is a good example where people go why would women want to play 
cricket or why would women want to play soccer or football as they call it right like why would women want to do that and it's like why wouldn't they want to do that because maybe it's not seen as a feminine sport you know it's this right it's like this is not a feminine thing too but what are we comparing it to and that's you know, that's the thing exactly there um uh, over a hundred years ago or no not quite a hundred maybe 80 i don't do math very well in my head um <laughs> Dorothy Sayers, who is a phenomenal writer around the time of Tolkien and Lewis, um, and she wrote uh, two essays that are collected in a book called, very, very small book called Are Women Human? I bet you have mm -hmm. read that, but mm -hmm. it is, I would just recommend it to anyone. She asked that question, are women human? And the answer is yes, we're like Basically, the way we should think about ourselves is as humans. So some humans love to exercise, right? And it's not just hmm. something men, some men like to do, some women like to as well. But our bodies are different in certain ways than male bodies. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to, like our running gait is going to be a little different because the our hips uh, are are um, like differently aligned hmm. to our knees just because hmm. of how our body structure is our upper bodies our arm strength is not as much as uh as a man's but yet we're much more flexible i mean there's just differences and that's yeah. how they should be treated just as differences not as one having less value than another hmm. and i think what happens today sometimes is we we assume automatically that difference implies a hierarchy of values. And in the biblical text, that's not, that's not how Adam and Eve or the first humans were presented. Their, mm. their difference is uh, complementary. They, they help each other. They're, um, they're to do life together. There's not a hierarchy of value in those differences. And that's, that's what I would love to see celebrated hmm. more. But instead, we have male as the standard and female is more irrational, more emotional. You know, you have all these value judgments as uh, descriptions are uh, laid out. And yeah, I hmm. <laughs> so that's. Uh, I'd like to see that change because I think that would move us closer to what the Bible really says about who women and men are together. Mm. There's been that debate, you know, with female leadership for so long that women are, like you said, irrational or emotional. And I think back to when when Trump was in office and when he said he had that button on his desk, right? And then you had North Korean president going, well, I've got a bigger button. <laughs> and everybody was like, well, I've got a bigger button than you and I'm going to push it. And and there was all that emotion. And we look at someone recently that we, a lot of people have been talking about and and we might not agree with a lot of her policies or things that she did, Jacinda Ardern, who was the prime minister of New Zealand, who just resigned. But she always said, and she did it so well, that she led with empathy. And we cannot deny that she was a great 
leader of her country and when there was terrorism, how there was an empathetic understanding and leadership as well as, as you know, of course, there was uh, hard things that she did, hard lockdown in COVID, which a lot of us had. But we saw a diff- we see that woman can lead. I mean, she's just one example. There's so many of incredible women that lead. And, uh, you know, I find that a lot of the focus when it comes to church leadership with regards to women focuses around Paul's letters and going, well, you see, Paul says that this is why X, Y, and Z. What can we make of Paul's writings about women and I know that that itself is a big question because there's so much to get into but what can we really make about Paul's writings and the fact that it's been used to keep women from leadership and even from teaching I think a lot of it depends on where you start so I like to start with who were Paul's co-workers because I believe that Paul would have been consistent between Mm. what he said and how he acted So we know that he calls Phoebe, this would be, I'm using the uh, last chapter in Romans here, for example. He talks about Phoebe, who's a deacon in the church uh, that uh, is right outside of Corinth, Cancrea. It's just a little, it's the port, uh, one of the ports of Corinth, ancient Corinth. And she's a deacon in the church. So she had some decision-making authority. She takes the letter to the Romans to uh, to Rome. And the practices, as best we can tell at this time, the letter carrier also read the letter. So she would have read the letter to the Romans and presumably answered questions because Paul would have talked with her about the letter. You kind of performed letters at that time. You read them aloud and everyone mm. uh, listened uh, over and over again, right? Like they wouldn't have just heard it once. It would have been handled over and over again. She is Paul's benefactor. He makes that very, very clear and has no trouble with saying with saying that. He also highlights um, a woman, uh, Junia, who is married to, or her brother is Andronicus. And he's he talks about how that couple had been in prison because mm-hmm. they preached the gospel, but he calls them apostles. So he has Junia as an apostle. And that, you know, so he he's very comfortable with women taking leadership roles. If you look at the letter to the Philippians in chapter four, he talks about Yodia and Syntyche, who are his co-workers. And he's concerned about um, how how there, there seems to be a, a difference of opinion between the two of them. And he's worried that that will create tensions within the church. So he's trying to uh, to get them both on the same page, but he's not criticizing the fact that they are leaders in the church. Mm. He celebrates that. He just is trying to solve a problem that they're facing. And Priscilla and Aquila are close colleagues of his. He knows them from Corinth. He knows them from Ephesus. And we know that Priscilla taught another one of Paul's co-workers, Apollos, that she and her husband Aquila taught Apollos. That's in the book of Acts. And and so when I look at that, I think, okay, then Paul was okay with women teaching. He was okay with women teaching men. He was okay with women preaching the gospel. He was okay with women who preached the gospel being in prison. I mean, he wasn't okay with it in the sense that (laughs) he, he hoped for that, but he knew that that could be 
the fate of anyone um, mm. who proclaimed Christ at that time. So he didn't shelter women as though, oh, no, 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 that's too dangerous of a job for you. No, mm. he celebrated that they were out preaching, that they were out teaching, that they um, gave everything for the gospel. And that continues in the early church. There are maybe as many female martyrs as there are male martyrs. Mm. And they they are celebrated. Their stories are celebrated. And men, as well as women, looked to these female martyrs as examples of how to live their own lives. So I feel like that we need to see that big picture Hmm. so that when we look at a verse that sounds like Paul is restricting all women at all time from ever teaching any male above age 16 or 18 or whatever you want to say as a male adult, Hmm. I think we've got to pause because we've got to say, but wait a minute, he, he was working closely with women and with men. Like it was a team of men and women. And so when I look at a verse that might sound like there's uh, restrictions for all places and times, Maybe instead I need to look at the more immediate context and say, okay, were the uh, women, let's say like in first Timothy two, which would have been sent to the church in Ephesus, are there certain circumstances at that time, which might happen in other places that is where Mm -hmm. in the environment, there's a really strong pull away from the gospel towards syncretism, um, towards getting the gospel wrong. Hmm. And if anybody there is teaching the false gospel, they need to be quiet. Because what we find in first Timothy one is that there are men who are teaching a false gospel. And I think the same thing then is happening in chapter two. There's some women that are also teaching falsely. And Hmm. in that culture, Timothy has to correct the men and he has to correct the women, but they're and, and train, especially train the women. And the way that in the ancient world, you educated men and you educated women were were different. It's not like in the West today Mm. where boys and girls go to school together and they go up through college together and mixed classrooms. Education was much more what we would call segregated as Mm. women as women got older. So there's he has to apply what he wants done in a culturally appropriate way. And that's, I think, what's going on. In in one of those verses that is often in First Timothy two, that's often used to say that uh, women shouldn't teach or preach or have any kind of um, decision making authority in the in the church. I love all these examples that you gave and what you're sharing with us as well is so crucial. It's so important for us to go, you know what, there is a context here and you can't just lift one verse out. I mean, you you get taught that all the time in seminary. We shouldn't just be taking out one verse and going, well, this is what it says. It's it's really about the context and, and the examples that you've been using as well. I love that because that's that should be our starting point. You know, looking at all of these incredible woman and you mentioned in Romans 16 and how many women are actually mentioned and in leadership positions and just how Paul does what he does throughout the book of Acts and stays with Philip who had four daughters who were prophets and 
he didn't have a problem with that. So it's beautiful to realize that we sometimes can really be getting things wrong, although it might not seem very beautiful at the time because you are challenged and you get defensive when you're challenged. But to look at this and say the Bible tells us more and it is about context and it is about a bigger understanding. And I think it's it's such an important point that you raised here, Lynn. And so with that, we're going to go to a quick song break, but we don't want you to go anywhere because Lynn is still going to be with me after this. And we're going to be still talking about female leadership and what's happening. But I feel like there's so much that's been given to you now that you need to kind of think about while we go to the song. So enjoy some music and we'll see you after this. It's Lauren Jacobs here on Voice of Change today, and I am joined by Dr. Lynn Kohik, and we have been talking about female leadership and particularly, of course, in the church. But this is a conversation that we know spills over into other aspects and areas of life, female leadership and, you know, what women can be doing and should be doing has been a conversation we've been having for decades, if not centuries, women everywhere saying, you know, are are women human and where are the rights of women and what can we do? And we see this specifically in the church as well. And it's something that we need to start looking at and it's something we need to focus on and something we need to be challenged about ourselves. And, you know, Lynn, I, I wanted to actually ask you two women who maybe are listening to us today who are thinking, well, I, I really feel God calling me to some kind of ministry or maybe to be a theologian or maybe to be a leader in a church, to be a pastor, to be a priest or minister. But I'm feeling like there might not be a space for me because the people in my denomination or congregation don't agree with female leaders or pastors. We only have elders or we only have male leaders. What would you say to a woman who maybe is listening who is in that position thinking, I feel God calling me here, but how do I go about doing this? And what do I do? And what is my first steps? And how do I do it when there's no space for me or a place for me where I'm at right now? Well, first, yeah, I, I sadly, I think there are a lot of women who find themselves in that, in that place. Um, I certainly found myself in that place a couple of decades ago as I was just starting uh, into my PhD and my church really couldn't imagine a woman teaching adult Sunday school class, teaching mm-hmm. the Bible in adult Sunday school class. So I, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say a couple of things. First, um, don't try and do this on your own. Seek out like-minded women, you really, and men, because there'll be men that will support you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not in your congregation, then find find them elsewhere. It's too difficult of a journey to do it by yourself. And there are resources that are out there. I would recommend, for example, the Priscilla Papers, which are published by Christians for Biblical Equality. They have a website. Uh, There's also the Junia Project, another website. Mm. Um, So you you can find material out there that will encourage you, that will um, give you the biblical basis, the biblical argument for e- equality, for helping you to understand and process this call in your life that you uh, that you've heard uh, from the Spirit. Um, and so that so that would be one thing. Secondly, I would uh, I would encourage you to 
to seek out education in this area, even if it's that you're auditing mm -hmm. classes, because you'll be in an educational environment that will help train your voice. And by that, I mean your confidence, because mm -hmm. it, it's hard to maintain your position when others are not only just disagreeing with you about a, an interpretation, but they're also challenging your um, almost your morality, right? They, it, some, for some churches to suggest that women can lead says that you don't take the Bible seriously. As it's a real challenge to your, your heart. I mean, it's not just a question about should you sprinkle or dunk, you know, in yeah. baptism, yeah. you know, but it becomes kind of your, your whole personhood is challenged. And so I think if you can um, be in an educational system, even if you're not getting a degree, but you're just at a place where you're kind of appropriately pushed to to talk about your your views, that helps you with gaining confidence. And then finally, I would say, give yourself permission to leave. Hmm. I mean, pray about it. We don't always, you know, we we are to be salt and light wherever we are and and will be used our testimony will be used but i think there's also a time as jesus says um when he sends out the disciples if you're in a town and they like what you're saying continue to stay there hmm. but if they don't just shake the dust from your sandals and move to the next one so i think that um and i know what i'm saying is very difficult cuz a lot of times uh women you know they just have so many friends and family members, and they're deeply embedded in their congregation. Um, but I think it may be that you you come to a point where you say, I'm just, um, I'm just not able to flourish here. I've just lost this joy of the Lord that is mine in Christ. And, um, and give yourself freedom to think about uh, turning to other uh, communities that that would encourage you. Hmm. That is that is really great wisdom there as well. And again, it is really about, I remember having a mentor in seminary and she was the vice principal and she was incredible. And uh, she would always say, I tell women to do exactly what God is telling them to do and do exactly what the Holy Spirit is telling them to do. So if he says to you to do that, then you go and do that, regardless of what anybody else says or what stands in your way. And she was a huge advocate for an egalitarian lifestyle. And and I learned so much through her and, and her 40 years of ministry that she had been in. And so that is so key, what you're sharing as well, is to find like-minded people. And, uh, you know, Christians for Biblical Equality International are amazing. And I really encourage you as a listener, you can get on their CBE International, go and have a look. They have so many publications, so many books, so many incredible articles, as well as uh, the Jania Project. And as Lynn said, these are two places where you can actually find not only articles, but like-minded believers because there's Facebook pages and, and those kind of things. 
Now, Lynn, you also mentioned something that's so crucial, and I want to touch on this before we end the show today, is that there are men who support you as well. And I need to say that that is such a crucial, crucial thing. Uh, it's an important thing that you are saying there. I know for me, I've had a lot of men champion my my life as a theologian and my career, and I've never really experienced any men being against me. And maybe it's just a blessing that I didn't, but I've met a lot of women who have said men have championed them, uh, you know, male leaders and men in, in positions that have said, no, no, we're opening the door you know, for you as well. And we need to say that because it's not just that all men are just sitting going, no, we don't want female leaders or pastors in our congregations. There are many men that are advocates for, you know, female leadership. Have you experienced that as well? And it's it's a big thank you to men who do that. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think my, um, uh, my career would not have uh, been what it is without uh, the support of men. I mean, I'm a college professor in uh, biblical studies in evangelical circles. So mm-hmm. when I started decades ago, we're not going to give the official number here, <laughs> <laughs> but a long while ago, you know, not quite horse and buggy days, but <laughs> close. Um, that um, you know, it, it's it's it was a man's world, if I could say it that way, and so you needed men to help you. And of course, men help younger men, older men help younger men. It's called mentoring, but it's Mm. much trickier to do that with women. We're learning though now. And I think when I see the up and coming female generation, they're they're being helped along because their male peers are just much more comfortable or often are much more comfortable working with women than back in the day when it was Mm. kind of an oddity. But yes, there are men who um, not just say that they're for women, but actually step aside, give up opportunities so that women can be, to use today's parlance, platformed, mm-hmm. uh, get a book contract, be part of um, a project uh, that help help them on their way. So yes, I definitely had uh, like my uh, colleague here at Northern Seminary, Scott McKnight, Mm. uh, invited me to participate in a couple of um, book projects that he did, um, the Story of God Bible Commentary Series, which is excellent, from Zondervan. Um, I was invited to be on the editorial board uh, for that. Scott's uh, involved as general editor in the New Testament. I mean, there's just... um, opportunities that were given by men who, um, you know, that meant that they, they didn't get that particular opportunity or Mm -hmm. in in other words, it cost them something, but not, but, but the reward that they received as more women's voices are heard um, in the academy and in the church far outweighed. Now, there have been men who might say, yes, we really support women in leadership. And then when a woman is actually the dean or uh, has some sort of authority over them, you find that they're less, it's more difficult for them to live into what they have professed. Mm. (laughs) So just because someone might slap the label on themselves of egalitarian, I found that doesn't always mean that they will 
that they will follow uh, women's leadership. But mm-hmm. when it when it happens, I just want to celebrate it and acknowledge it. And change will happen only when we work together. Because mm. otherwise, you know, I don't I don't like domination by men over women. But to solve that doesn't mean that women dominate men. I mean, that's just yeah. that's like yeah. bad. Also, we have to work together and um, and for dignity for both men and women as fully flourishing humans. Mm. That's what I hope for. Mm. I love that as well, working together. And it is so, so important. And and to the men that support, it's incredible. And we see that and we acknowledge that and we say thank you. And again, we challenge those who, who do have the label on them or even put it in their bio in social media. I'm a woman's empowerment advocate. Well, when you put the label on yourself, you have to live up to it. And, and it often becomes a little bit uncomfortable when you're in those positions and I've experienced that as well, <laughs> certain individuals. So, so you can't put that on your social media account if you're not willing to live up to it. But Lynn, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a privilege and a pleasure for me to almost be here in one of your classes, so to say, <laughs> and to really just enjoy hearing your wisdom today and just the way you've shared it with us. It's just been such a blessing. And I want to say thank you so much. It is lots of food for thought here that we can eat from. And I I really pray that the listeners will be doing that. And I'm sure that they will be. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Lauren. It's been just a delightful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. And take care and God bless you with all the incredible work that you're going to be doing throughout 2023. You know, it's often been said by people who teach the word of God from its real context and its truth and its culture and its language and its substance that scripture has to interpret scripture. And so if you find something in the Bible that you do not understand, then oftentimes we don't understand it because it's our context that makes us not understand it. And I love where Lynn was coming from when she was saying that, you know, you can see how Paul speaks to women in the Bible and how he serves alongside many different women and how he calls them certain things as their calling is like apostle or teacher or even a pastor or prophetess and we see these things in the old and in the new and I love that Lynn brought that up and so when we encounter the difficult words of Paul because his words are sometimes very difficult to understand and you know when we encounter his words and they seem to speak against things that we actually see him living and professing and practicing in other places in the Bible we really have to ask ourselves what is our frame of reference what is our context and what don't we understand and allow ourselves to be challenged by the Bible the Bible is also there to challenge us not just on the way that we live but on the way that we think and what we hold dear and what we've been taught and what we've inherited culturally because we don't realize that we are so formed by the culture around us and that our reading of the Bible is formed by our culture and sometimes we don't even realize that that is our reality but if we think of something as simple as how does someone living in a modern developed nation maybe someone living in America how do they read the Bible as opposed to someone who's living in rural DRC who has access to a certain kind of context and whose life is lived a certain way in the same way that someone who's living in America in a first developed nation 
has their own context and so where you come from and your life experience also affects how you understand the bible and that's a challenging reality when it comes to female leadership we see that challenge continuing we see that reality unfolding before us and so i'm really grateful that we've had this conversation today just to get us thinking to get me thinking to get you thinking to get everybody thinking it's been such a great time here on voice of change thank you for joining me and next week on the show we are going to be reflecting on on the eve of the anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. A year ago, on the 24th of February, Russia invaded Ukraine. And, you know, next week, we're going to be coming to that one-year anniversary where this invasion continues. Many lives lost on both sides. Many, many people now living as refugees. And we're going to be reflecting on the situation in Ukraine and what is happening and what we've seen throughout the last year. And so I cannot wait for you to be with me next week on Voice of Change, same time, same place. See you then and God bless. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.